Welcome into Opportunity Detroit, brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. On today's show, we're going to learn more about the many projects underway in Midtown Detroit, and that includes the Henry Ford Health, Pistons, and MSU Partnership. We'll also hear about what's happening at Shelby, a hidden gem in downtown Detroit. And Rocket Mortgage's Mark Hollis catches up with the co-founder of StockX, a great show all about what's happening in the D, coming up right after these messages. Welcome into Opportunity Detroit, brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. Henry Ford Health has announced that it's pursuing a $2.5 billion development plan over the next decade, and that is music to the ears of our first guest, Susan Mosey, Executive Director of Midtown Detroit. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Talk to us a little bit about this announcement. How is it going to work? What's it going to look like here in Midtown Detroit, Sue? Well, I mean, this um, Henry Ford Pistons and Michigan State University project obviously is very uh, transformational. I mean, in addition to just a lot of new cutting-edge research facilities uh, and just uh, patient uh, facilities, you're going to have uh, the conversion of their existing headquarters, which, as you may remember, was originally the old boroughs headquarters over there on 2nd Avenue into residential with an, uh, another residential mixed-use tower uh, near that location, uh, the new MSU Research Center, uh, a new public sort of facing park uh, for the district. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's going to really uh, stimulate that whole area, which is very quiet today because um, it's really has not had a mixed use character there along that, that corridor. Uh, it's sort of been this quiet, um, uh, more campusy headquarter location for Henry Ford. So the Pistons have already come in there with their performance center, put in Planet Fitness, which is doing very well over there, have a small market over there. So they've already taken the first step in that area to sort of uh, create a more walkable, more vital district there. But this, of course, will really uh, complete that transformation. You know, knowing how you have put your heart and soul into this area, what was your first thought when they told you what was coming here, Sue? How did you react? Well, I mean, this is a this is an area that um, we did a lot of planning work around years ago with all the stakeholders there in that area, and um, always felt like a health-centered corridor there uh, could be very um, impactful for the city. Uh, Henry Ford's already such a major, uh, important medical player in Detroit. Um, you know, that would be an obvious additional, you know, benefit for everyone to have them just expand more on all of these um, amazing services that they already provide for the public. But the Pistons was really the new factor, right? That was not really envisioned years ago um, until Tom Gores decided he really wanted to do this. And that opened up a whole lot of additional um, opportunities for that for that neighborhood. Do you think it will bring more people into the city to live, work, and play, Sue? Well, I mean, you're going to have 500 new units. Sure. So right right away, you're going to have seven, eight hundred new residents there. So that, in and of itself, for a fairly small um, three block kind of district, will be very impactful. Um, and then they are going to have a considerable amount of commercial space. So depending on what their commercial leasing strategy ends up being, um, more neighborhood amenity type 
um, businesses like they did with uh, the market and Planet Fitness will, you know, service a much broader area than just a small, you know, three-block district. It'll really benefit all of New Center and Midtown as well. When I first heard this announcement and we had it on the Paul W. Smith Show, one of the things I started thinking about is how will it impact some of the other real estate in this area. What do you think about that? Like, for example, the Fisher Building, where we are here at WJR. Yeah, I mean, I think overall, obviously, investment um, begets other investment. Sure. So, and especially with substantial, uh, well-capitalized partners. So you definitely will see uh, there are some vacant um, uh, sort of really cool historic buildings still in that general area. I think you're going to see those. Uh, some movement on those towards uh, renovation and and repurposing. Um, There's already been a major one announced over there in Amsterdam that Great Water Capital picked up, and they are doing a $27 million rehab of that building for 90 new loft units, and that's just a block from this location. So you're going to, you know, I think you're going to see more and more of that. Uh, We've redeveloped a lot of that property over on Woodward with all those small businesses and restaurants and things that are up by West Grand Boulevard. This will be very good for them um, because it will, again, bring more uh, more customers that are within walking distance of their locations. Talk a little bit about some of the really cool restaurants that have come into the New Center area, big-time popular restaurants that are really hard to get into. Right, and we're bringing in more <laughs> that have not been announced yet. So we are really trying to develop that two-block, uh, pretty intact um, district up there for sort of like food, beverage, and entertainment. We do have a couple of small retailers, um, but really the the future of that we really see more as being in the, you know, service, food and beverage, and entertainment. So a couple of new ones that are, um, a couple of the ones that have come in that are to a lot of fanfare um, has, of course, been one of our tenants, which is Baba Fair. And then another one of our tenants is The Kitchen um, with Kiana Broden, who does a um, fantastic vegan restaurant there. Um, and then we have Sapinos. We sold them a building uh, to pizza, renovate right? and open their location. Uh, we have Joe Lewis Southern Kitchen that's been doing a ton of business over there. Um, then we have um, Yum Village, who also uh, has got a really fantastic array of food offerings at his location. Um, and we do have a number of other restaurants that will be announced before too long in that same area. We have Time Will Tell, which is a great little cocktail bar. Uh, that you, many of your listeners may not even know is over there, right on Woodward, just uh, a block and a half south of, of West Grand Boulevard. Uh, that recently opened, uh, so people should check that out. And then we have a new one that is just going under construction now. It's called The Duck, and it is a duck pin bowling uh, <laughs> bar and restaurant, and we think it will be really fun. We don't have one in Detroit. Um, this is kind of the shorter pin uh, kind of bowling. And um, anyway, that's um, under renovation now as well in that area. So, you know, we're hoping to just continue to bring in those types of uses there to eventually create like kind of a full, um, really well curated uh, little small business district in that in that part of the neighborhood. And, you know, a couple other restaurants that I also have been paying attention to, one that I've actually been to, Oak and Real. That's a great place. Oh, yeah, place. fantastic. So we worked with Jared to lo- to select that location. I love it. Um, he wanted to be in a location that was just a little off the main main artery. Sure. Um, so gr- great restaurant. Of course, you have Dragonfly and Freya, Sandy Levine's award-winning restaurants over there also. 
Um, and then you have the Chroma building, which is just a fantastic uh, um, reuse of um, a building for co-working, for office, for events, uh, big outdoor space, big event spaces. I mean, a, really a, a fantastic uh, destination um, uh, location for all kinds of uh, activity. Um, and you're having more, you got a lot of small businesses that have been opening there. A lot of small arts and design driven businesses mm. have opened along that stretch of uh, East Grand Boulevard, including Vault of Midnight, which is an awesome comic book type store. Um, and then you have a variety, I think, Boro, which is a wonderful vintage uh, shop that's just relocated from Eastern Market over there. Um, a number of galleries. I mean, it's, you know, that, that neighborhood, which is just immediately adjacent to that new center strip, has really. Uh, has a bunch of wonderful assets, including Kiesling Bar, um, lots, of, lots of really great spaces there. And, you know, you mentioned Freya. That restaurant was named by the New York Times as one of the best restaurants yeah, a lot in of the these country, right? So, right. So Oak and, Rail, Oak and Rail won the Hour Award, this Hour Magazine Award this year. Uh, Freya, yeah, was cited in as one of the top restaurants in the New York Times. Yum Village uh, recently was cited for having one of the best 25 dishes, I think, in America. I think that was the New York Times. Bob Affair just got listed as the 14th best restaurant in the country by Esquire. So these are significant chefs and significant restaurants uh, that are all kind of clustered up in that northern section of the neighborhood. Now, what can you tell us about hotel space, both in Midtown Detroit and maybe even further into the city? I know you've been hinting that there's some hotel space coming our way. Yeah, I mean, you know, Detroit, as everyone knows, especially now with the significant expansion that's going to be happening um, at Huntington Place uh, with the new hotel they're going to be doing there, finally a large-scale convention hotel attached. Um, But we need need more space. product in the hotel and more product of different price points and brands. Uh, so the, um, the nearest, I think, to be under construction is the uh, AC hotel that the Roxbury Group have been working on. It did get delayed due to COVID, but I believe that's back on track. It'll be under construction before too long out here on Woodward, uh, just south of Mac. So that will sit next to the City Club uh, development that should be under construction shortly this spring or early summer. That's the 350 new units of apartments plus the Urban Target store um, and some other small restaurants uh, that will be going in on that key corner. So um, those are a couple of big projects. There's also another hotel that is being worked on that was announced a while ago as part of the MID, which is a large um, development across from Orchestra Place. That is still being worked on as well. Uh, and we're hopeful that will eventually, uh, within the next year or two, be underway as well. So, you know, we feel like we will have new center, definitely needs another hotel option, extended stay or some kind of product up there. Um, I think given the big healthcare expansion uh, would be a really good add. Uh, and we need more grocery options. Yes. Uh, Whole Foods does really, really well here. And we have two Spartan stores that continue to do well. Um, but we really do need, and we got a lot, a lot of wonderful little bodegas that have opened up in the neighborhood. So the Brush Park Bodega, the Seasons Market in Midtown, uh, we have the long-term like campus favorite Marcus Marcus over here, Marcus Market over here. But we need more um, general groceries in the in the neighborhood. Now, knowing you, you've got a vision for the future. What are you looking at? You know, what would you like to see within the next five to ten years? 
in Midtown Detroit? What else is well? I mean, I think the continuing the continuing emphasis on more residential. Mm. Um, I mean, more than ever, the impact of COVID with more remote work and then yes. more students, even at the university, just zooming in for classes. You know, I mean, all of these models are going to be with us longer term. That seems pretty apparent. Um, so we really do need to get back to. Um, basics, which is having people live here, right? And yes. having and being able to count on people who live here to really support these local businesses, right? Um, so we will always have, you know, folks that come in from all over to go to these fine dining establishments and the museums and some of the special offerings, but we need to get just more density on the residential side to just constantly uh, be feeding more market for all these small businesses that continue to open in the neighborhood. You know, all of this development has to be really good for people who have been here in this area in Midtown Detroit for a while. Their property values, I would think, are going to get a whole lot better. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the property value uh, situation here, property values have really skyrocketed in the Woodward Corridor over the last decade. I mean, um, and, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with the amount of development that has come into the neighborhood. Sure. Um, we have pretty expensive for sale condos, uh, in the neighborhood relative to many other parts of the city. However, a lot of people, when they did, you know, when you do buy one of these new or renovated condos, you get something called a neighborhood enterprise zone tax incentive. Mm-hmm. So when those start burning off after like 15 years or so, you know, the taxes go significantly up. So that is impacting the values out here of some of the older condo units in the neighborhood. And this is why making changes to the current tax system, which the mayor has recently been discussing, is discussing is really critical. So at what point did things really start to change? You know, you've been doing this forever in Midtown Detroit, and for a while, there wasn't much going on. At what point did all of this change just start occurring? Well, and what I mean, prompted you know, it, too, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I would say there was always uh, work going on. Sure. I mean, I started here 35 years ago. I know, but it's we were amazing. doing a lot, of small, a lot of small projects. A lot of fundamental work was done in terms of getting, like, all the buildings here listed on the National Register so everybody could get a 20% historic tax credit, which is really equity for real estate projects. Uh, we did a lot to form uh, very flexible uh, pre-development loan capital funds here so that a lot of people could have easy access to capital to get their projects figured out or to buy buildings to renovate. So, you know, lots of time was spent in just building a market and um, convincing appraisers and lenders and others that there was even a market for people to live here. Uh, So that took a long time. And then really back in about 2010, and kind of at the tail end of the of the big recession, um, the foundations really stepped up in the neighborhood and said, and the anchor institutions here, Wayne State and Henry Ford, and said, look, we want to invest more in the neighborhood. We think it's important to have a campus around our um, around our facilities. And the foundation sort of came in line with that, and we did a very large scale residential incentive program that you might have remembered called Live Midtown. That's right. Uh, brought in thousands of new residents into the neighborhood here that were actually. Uh, employees of the university, the Detroit Medical Center, and Henry Ford. And they were employees at all income levels. So it was really great. It was a very diverse pool who benefited from those incentives. So, you know, that really helped kickstart a lot of activity. And then we partnered with a very large community development finance institution called um, 
uh, capital impact partners on a very large uh, loan pool for senior debt for a lot of real estate deals in Midtown. And I think about 10 major deals got done using that capital. So that, again, kept continuing, you know, uh, bringing on product all the time, uh, primarily mixed-use projects, and so that really helped. And then we partner a lot with Invest Detroit, and we work with them on another fund called the Core Strategic Fund, which we did another dozen projects or so using that really soft kind of capital. It was kind of like the capital you needed to get the projects over the finish line. And then the state of Michigan came in with a new real estate program, which also really helped. So really a lot of time has been spent on aggregating capital and trying to uh, create programs that really uh, can end up with successful execution of a lot of these uh, projects. Sue Mosey, Executive Director of Midtown Detroit. All of your hard work has definitely paid off. Congratulations, and thank you for the time today. Thank you. You are listening to Opportunity Detroit. We'll be back right after these messages. You are listening to Opportunity Detroit. And there's a great cocktail bar. Actually, it's a speakeasy in Detroit called Shelby. It's in a renovated bank vault that had been sitting vacant until 2019. We are now joined by Tarun Kajipeda, the owner of Shelby, and Mindy Lopez, Director of Hospitality. Welcome to Opportunity Detroit. Thanks for coming on today, Tarun and Mindy. Thank you for having us. Tarun, I want you to start out first and just talk to our listeners a little bit about the history of this. How did you find this place? What's this all about? (laughs) I wish I knew all of the history of the space, but I can share as much as I do know. Um, so we actually, it was very much happenstance that we stumbled on the, the space. There used to be a, a burger joint on the ground floor of the building called Brome, and we were having lunch there. Um, and my, my broker mentioned there's a really cool space in the, in the basement. Um, it's not, I was thinking of opening more of a fast casual concept, and uh, he knew this wasn't really the right fit, but, but thought, hey, we're here. Why don't, why, don't, why don't you come look at it? Um, and I think that was probably part of his plan. Um, but uh, we go down and, and take a look at space and just kind of fell in love with the, the potential for it, as well as was a little taken aback by how this gem could be sitting downtown in this condition. So you see this big, imposing bank vault door that I've been told weighs 6,000 pounds. Uh, there's rust everywhere, but you can just see the, the history. There are these kind of worn down crown moldings, um, and you see the original safes within the bank vault. And my understanding is that this, so the building was the U.S. Mortgage Fund building constructed in the 1920s. Um, and all of this stuff was built in, in, in place uh, because of just how much um, you know, the steel weighed and the concrete. Um, but it was sitting vacant for about 20 years until we came in and thought, really, we've got to restore this to its, its former glory and, and, and put a concept in the space to match. Tell us about the restoration process. It must have been kind of difficult to do this, Tarun. Yeah, I could tell you uh, stories for days. I think we definitely underestimated uh, the complexity of turning a space to a space that is now welcoming to to patrons. So um, one example is uh, just getting the HVAC supply into the space. It actually took us about 20 hours. We contracted a company um, in Detroit called Detroit Diamond Drilling uh, that had to bring this massive uh, diamond drill in to drill through, you know, rebar, concrete, steel, 
uh, to create an opening large enough to have enough ventilation in the space. And, you know, there were a lot of those types of cost items that we completely didn't budget for uh, that, that, that really threw us for, for a loop. But, you know, we just kind of kept finding ways to get creative and, and, and make things make sense. Another one was uh, we had a contractor from Warren come out and actually unlock the safe in the vault so that we could use them functionally as storage uh, because they were all locked up when we came in there. So it's pretty cool to, to see some of those things. I've seen some beautiful pictures of this space. Did you model it after another speakeasy around the country? We really wanted to do something unique with the space. I actually worked with a, a friend of mine um, from high school, Chris Johnson, uh, and his partner Kyle Barker on the on the design. Um, and we we see a lot of these. There are some bank vault restaurants in other cities, but they usually have more of an old school steakhouse style vibe. And we really thought we wanted to bring uh, bring a sexy element to this space and, and have it create a little bit more of like a lounge vibey feel. So. Um, there are definitely inspiration that we've drawn from other cities, but I would say this concept, we really strive for it to be kind of a uniquely Detroit experience, which is, uh, you know, not pretentious, assuming, but really delivering the goods in terms of the quality of execution. Now, Mindy Lopez, Director of Hospitality, you are relatively new to this job, and you came to this cocktail bar, Speakeasy, because you think it's fascinating that this is happening in Detroit. But talk a little bit about the fact that there's also some really good food served here, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the most interesting things when I was talking to Arun about this position, um, first of all, that in addition to the Shelby, we also have Coffee Down Under, which is our coffee shop, and it's it's, um, also connected to the Shelby. So when people come in for the experience, they come into the coffee shop and it's really kind of fun to watch because people will come in and look around and, and think, yeah, no, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> and our baristas act as our host for the Shelby uh-huh. and, um, you know, check them in, bring them in. And the experience that people have, especially first timers, when the door opens and they're going from this light, bright, white, beautiful, you know, to kind of natural sunlight um coffee shop they walk into the bar and they're pretty much shocked at the experience the transition so it's a lot of fun and very playful you know right from the start but i came to the position or or actually i came to the position for a couple of reasons one um we have plans down the road for additional concepts Mm -hmm. um so you know my my position is part of the growth of of the company um, but two, you know, when I was interviewing, I hadn't been to Shelby since, you know, just post pandemic and went in and sat down and the food was so shockingly good um, <laughs> that I was just completely taken, taken aback. It's it's products that you don't normally see. Um, sustainability plays a huge um, you know, has a huge play in what we do. And um, the quality of the food was something that you would see in, you know, some of our better restaurants in the Detroit area. Um, and the chef, who is an incredibly talented guy, his name is Matt Tulpa, um, you know, connected with Tarun a couple of years ago and, and put together this little, you know, kind of sleeper program where we do everything from, 
um, our kind of signature dish is a smoked whitefish financier, which is a it, it's kind of cute because it's a financier is kind of a either a sweet or a savory pastry. And this is a little savory pastry. And in fact, it's green to match the color of money as we're in a vault. And <laughs> I love it's served it. with this delicious uh, whitefish spread with a lemon glaze and fresh herbs. And it's just not something that you'd expect in a speakeasy. You know, when you go to a lot of cocktail bars, if they have food, it's, it might be a pop-up outside or it could be, you know, a relatively small program. Um, but what really blew me away is they gave me a tour of the kitchen, which literally is the size of a, of a tall um, lateral file cabinet. And there are two guys putting out food that you wouldn't believe. Um, so it, it, it was, it was kind of a, for somebody that has been a restaurateur, owned restaurants, and then has been in this business for quite some time, um, it kind of made me smile. And I'm sure it's not helping with our build-outs for future restaurants when you see what kind of wonderful things can be put out of such a tiny space. So it's, it's, um, it's exciting to be a part of something like this. It really is. Oh, it sounds very exciting. Now, what kind of clientele are you drawing? Are you drawing... Uh, a younger audience here or you know, here, here's the really interesting thing and what's really interesting is you can go in there and see um first of all it's an extremely diverse crowd so awesome. it's it's not necessarily targeting anybody i mean we you know we, it, the thought is we're downtown we'd have a great happy hour you know from people that work downtown well you know with the pandemic that's kind of changed so they've um, created just this kind of wonderful buzz around it. And we have people ranging in age from 21 to 80, literally, oh, that come in. Great. And and every single, you know, every single person that comes in seems to have a really wonderful experience. So, you know, the diversity and, and of not only age, but race and socioeconomics, I mean, all of it is there. And it's really, you know, it, it really is a true representation of what we're trying to do in Detroit. You know, we're not fussy. We're not fancy. You can come in as you like. We have no dress code. Um, but it's it's really a warm, wonderful experience. Now, Tarun, what are your hours and do you need reservations? Um, so we are now open five days a week. We're open five to midnight, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and five to 1 a.m. on Friday and Saturday. Um, recommend reservations generally, particularly on the weekends on Friday and Saturday, but you are welcome to walk in and on the weekdays, um, it's usually easier to do so, but you want to be a place that you can, you know, celebrate a, a momentous occasion, but also just stumble upon, um, you know, on a casual weekday night. It actually sounds like a must see destination. If you're in town, you better check out the Shelby. Completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> Tarun Kajipeda, owner of Shelby, and Mindy Lopez, director of hospitality. Thank you so much for talking to us today and telling us a little bit about this great speakeasy cocktail bar right here in the city of Detroit. Thanks so much for the time and have a great day. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you, you for featuring us. You are listening to Opportunity Detroit. We'll be back right after this. Man Thomas, and this is Opportunity Detroit. We have a great new show on Sunday morning here at WJR from 8 to 10 a.m. 
called JR Sunday with Mark Hollis. Mark is the Chief Operating Officer of Rocket Mortgage, and he recently talked to Greg Schwartz, co-founder and Chief Operating Officer of StockX. Welcome, Greg. Good to be on. Yeah, it's good to have you. I think as you look at the, the past seven years, the things that you and, and other others at StockX have accomplished, it's remarkable. As I look at some of the statistics here from the past year, 2022, uh, 1.5 million sellers, 12 million buyers, and 40 million trades. Those three numbers really demonstrate the vision that, that you had back seven years ago and, and what you've achieved thus far. It's really been an incredible journey and just feel fortunate that, you know, we've been able to do this um, based on, you know, an idea that started right in, in campus marshes in downtown Detroit in early 2015, as you mentioned, a conversation I was having with uh, Dan Gilbert, who I'd gotten to know as an investor in a prior company of mine and started thinking about an opportunity to build a better consumer marketplace based on the principles that have driven the world's financial exchanges, our stock markets for for literally hundreds of years and wanted to apply some of those same mechanics to to consumer goods, starting with sneakers as the category we began with. And um, it's just been an incredible, incredible ride and really proud to be doing it from right here in Detroit. When you look at the breadth of some of the things that, that StockX um, exchanges in and, and trades in, is it a, it's a, is a United States phenomenon, is a global phenomenon? It's absolutely a global phenomenon. We have uh, customers in more than 200 countries and territories. Um, and so you have trends that emerge in, in different countries. You have, you know, of course, you have Air Jordan, which dates back uh, to 1985 and in sneakers is still, you know, the leading, the leading brand. Um, and, and then you look, you know, around the world in, in Japan, you have um, artists like Mirakami, which are doing collaborations that are sold worldwide. So you have really unique brands, unique trends that emerge um, in, in different markets. And, and one of the unique things about StockX is we are a global platform. So we're connecting a global buyer base with a global seller base so that no matter where you're located, uh, you get access to from sneakers to collectibles, as you mentioned, electronics, apparel, uh, items from, from around the world. So I'm a, a 60-year-old male and and I found myself on StockX buying a few things. Um, I, I'm guessing my demographic may not be the norm, but what's, you know, what are the typical uh, buyers and, and traders that show up on StockX? Well, I did see a very cool picture of you, Mark, wearing a <laughs> Tom Sachs Nike craft. I thought you wore them very well, but yeah, around 60% of our users are under 35 years old. Um, so we definitely have a, you know, we call them the next gen consumer. Uh, more than 35% of, of customers on StockX are, are women, uh, which is a trend we're really excited about. Um, so it, it absolutely skews younger, but you have um, also, you know, a slightly older demographic, um, you know, my age where you grew up watching Jordan, watching basketball, you know, as, as a as a big sneakerhead, and and now, you know, maybe in a position where you can go and buy some of those those classic um, retro sneakers that um, are either a few years old or just now re-releasing. So it, it's you know we find is depending on the product, depending on the category. Um, we can transcend a lot of different uh, demographics, but definitely skews uh, younger than under 35 age group. Yeah, and if, if you go through the, the process once, you know, myself as a buyer, um, it's very easy to come back the second and third time once you make that first, you know, that first step into the StockX verification process and kind of describe that 
you know, real briefly kind of how the whole process works. It's, it's, there's something that somebody has, something that somebody wants, and how does StockX come in, into play to really bring value to that, that transaction? Sure, yeah, we're uh, a marketplace, so we connect buyers and sellers. So if you are purchasing an item on StockX, um, we're connecting your, your bid or your purchase with a seller uh, somewhere around the world. That seller has a couple of days to ship their product to one of our verification centers. We have 14 of those around the world, one of which is uh, right in downtown Detroit in Corktown. And our most recent one we just opened up uh, in Mexico, which we're really excited about. And once an item arrives, um, we sit in the middle of the transaction. So we're looking at, is it the right condition? Uh, of course, is it uh, 100% uh, authentic? Is it in the right, the right box, the right product? Um, looking for manufacturing defects. So we're, we're doing a thorough verification of that product uh, before we then um, send it off to you um, as the buyer. And we, you know, we really were the first to, to sit in the middle of all the transactions that happen uh, in a marketplace and to, to put that verification process in place. And really proud of the, the work we've done there. In 2022 alone, turned away $100 million worth of products that didn't meet uh, our standards and today have more than 300 authenticators uh, around the world um, inspecting more than a million products a month. And that's a, a big difference maybe from some of the, uh, the the platforms that have been used in the past, I guess, to buy and sell things is you don't know what you're getting, you don't know what's coming in, and that verification process really delivers a high level of confidence in the in the person that may be wanting to buy something that has this high value. Absolutely. And it's a combination of human identification, you know, an expert knowledge and data set that we've built, and then, you know, more and more um, bringing in cutting edge technology that's a, a part of that process. So that, that combination of an incredible team of authenticators plus um, plus uh, data and technology is really the, the winning formula in our opinion. So let's get into some of the fun things, the, the, the items that are actually, uh, I guess, the backbone of what you do, um, the products that, that people desire, the products that people have to put on the platform, uh, StockX. What are some of the top sneaker brands that, that might be out there that would pique people's interest? You know, for years, it's been the, the popular ones like Jordan, Adidas, um, and, and of course, the Nike branded products. But I think what's so interesting is we're seeing a trend where you're seeing new brands emerge. Um, one of our hottest and fastest growing brands uh, this past year was Solomon, was up over 2,000% um, on our platform in, in terms of trade volume. Hoka, which for a while has been a popular running shoe, um, premium running shoe, is now um, a really popular brand. These products are starting to sell out or people want a, a prior release of a Hoka shoe up more than 700% year over year. So it's really fascinating now in sneakers alone to see breakouts of brands that we haven't seen um, as top brands in prior years on StockX. And it's not just sneakers, Mark. I think what's really fun is it's, uh, you have in apparel, um, one of the top brands for quite a while has been Supreme on StockX, uh, popular with that, that next-gen customer. But the number one brand last year was um, a brand called Fear of God, um, which is um, created by an incredible artist, Jerry Lorenzo. And um, and seeing Fear of God become a top brand on the platform was really excited. Uh, also, brands like Montclair, Amy Leon Dior. Um, so it, it's a new host of brands that um, are side by side on StockX. Um, some of the the legacy brands uh, that I mentioned, sneakers. And then I'd also say it's you know it's collectibles. Lego still very popular. Um, electronics. Uh, we sell a lot of Playstations, Xboxes, and video graphic cards. So there's a whole mix of products across a number of brands. And it might be something that's sold out, 
in a few minutes, or it might be something that is moving below retail. I think that's something a lot of people don't realize is there are things on StockX that sell at a premium um, to their retail price, some that sell below, but it's all based on um, supply and demand and that market rate-based pricing that's very similar to how a stock market prices a stock. Yeah, when I go back to that nostalgia, the, the Lego, I, I've actually traded on, on StockX to purchase Legos, and um, it's something that I enjoy doing. Uh, so that's it's great to have that on the platform for those things that you can't find in the stores. Are there other kind of when you look nostalgia, trading cards, any any other areas where uh, StockX is, is dabbling into? Oh, the collectibles is a really interesting space. So you have things like cause figures, uh, bare bricks. These are you know, mixed between um, a high-end toy and really an art piece. And this is an incredible following. We're now one of the largest collectibles marketplaces uh, in the country. And I think that that's just another area that has a lot of nostalgia and something that, you know, my six-year-old son thinks is very cool, but it's also really, really neat pieces that you can see, you know, on the shelf of an office or even in an art gallery. So I think some of those products are fascinating and there's a lot of nostalgia in those as well. So need to get you uh, into a cause or bear brick next, Mark. There you go. Uh, the future uh, of StockX, the focus, you spoke a little bit about the international um, expansion that, that is happening. But as you look at, you know, what you've done in the first seven years, what's around the corner for StockX coming up? We still feel like we're in the early innings, and that's what's so excited. It's what pumps me up every morning as I'm heading downtown to our office. Um, and, and for us, it's continued international expansion. Mexico is um, our first step into what we think is a really exciting opportunity in Latin America. Uh, we still are seeing rapid growth in Europe, uh, in Asia, which is a really important supply market for us. And we're also just um, at the beginning stages of a number of these categories. So electronics, uh, still relatively new categories in collectibles like Lego, like we mentioned, are relatively new. And, and these are massive broad categories that there's just an exciting opportunity to add more products to these catalogs and to continue to make our experience better and better for customers. So a lot of what we're focusing on in the year ahead is making sure that we're getting products to customers faster than we ever have before and trying to really dial into every aspect of that customer journey to make sure it's a, a great experience for our customers. I mean, that's really front and center for us. JR Sunday with Mark Hollis airs every Sunday from 8 to 10 a.m. I'm Ann Thomas. Thanks for listening to Opportunity Detroit and enjoy the rest of your weekend.